0: Are you all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? Come along quietly or not. I will talk to you about it. For there is nothing else. Some art is making hope. Yeah. And bite upon it.
1: Studio.
0: Yeah, but you so time and
1: the living's easy. Fish are jumping and the cotton is high. You know your daddy's rich and your mama's good looking. So hush, little baby, mama. Don't you cry. Yeah.
0: yeah. Alright, folks. Welcome now to the Planet Shivers Podcast. I am, and always will be, Albert Shivers, and I am very excited today to finally be joined by my by my favorite rabbi, the Rabbi, mm-hmm. Rabbi B.B. Melman. Thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Thanks, Al, for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm just gonna scooch this over.
1: Uh, and I brought Smiley with me, my yes. canine cohort. We never, we never um, leave home without each other. So.
0: And he is a husky.
1: What? Siberian. Siberian. From the Gulag.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said before, it's my first canine guest, which is exciting. It's good to have one for a little. If while. If you
1: hear any uh, heavy panting, that's not me. <laughs> 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 he's 14, so he's very. He, he, breathes, he breathes loudly.
0: Gotcha. No, but he's, he's amazing.
1: He's amazing. Yeah. Very gentle. Yeah. And kind.
0: So, I guess we could start, by with um, where you're from.
1: I am currently from Stroudsburg. Um, and... Um, See, well, it's a long story. Uh, I could claim Brooklyn because that's where the hospital was, okay. um, Bethel or Brookdale, goes by various names, mm. and um, I lived there for uh, for about a week, and then I was spirited out to Long Island, Rockville Center, okay. which is the archdiocese, and, um, and we call it I call it Rockville Yenta, mm-hmm. and I didn't know any different i mean that's just what i called it but people yes. laughed when i said it so i kept saying it so yeah got good laughs if it so. gets a laugh yeah. <laughs> i'm just gonna keep repeating <laughs> yeah. that. i was so cute they used to toss me around and um i'm like a midget toss mm-hmm. I, oh you're not allowed to say that these days a small person it's okay
0: on the podcast <laughs> so, okay. okay
1: so I, I have cousins who are like a quarter century older than me and i was the baby and um so what can I, I had no choice in the matter, it was, mm-hmm. I, I didn't choose to be born, I didn't choose to be the youngest of all the cousins, and right. it's just the way it was, so. And then, and then when I was mm-hmm. seven, we moved out to uh, Rochester, New York, and where my dad got a position, electronic engineer at Xerox, vice president, and he mm-hmm. developed the first fax machine wow. as head of that team, and then. Sixty-eight, the fax machine came out, but nobody was aware of a fax machine. Nineteen sixty-eight, because the, the Xerox, the heads of the company, they took a survey and they decided that people would never use fax; they're just going to go with courier services. Okay. And so they sidelined it, and he was very discouraged. So he he moved on, and we moved to uh, the Boston area, Lexington, and uh, near Route One Twenty Eight in the high tech. And he okay. became a my dad became a consultant to high high tech industry. And, and uh, before I was even born, uh, the, uh, he was head of the, uh, he was chief engineer at CBS. So we had the first, he, he is, uh, we had the first color TV. So my, mm-hmm. my brothers, uh, I wasn't born yet, as I said, mm-hmm. but well, their friends came into the living room to watch uh, mm-hmm. *Wizard of Oz* and color, wow. and that uh, it was, it was uh, fantastic.
0: And he, if I remember correctly, your father had something to do with the invention of color television.
1: Well, he was uh, he, he he was uh, chief engineer, so he was uh, he was the first one to roll out. CBS was the first company to roll out the version of a, of a, of a color of a, a color television from mm-hmm. the hypothetical blueprint to the actual machine. And my father had a lot to do with that that rollout. Okay. Before that, he was in uh, in radio, mm-hmm. we had microphones. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs>
1: so uh, yeah, so you like to take things apart and. The basement was littered with skeletons of electronics. <laughs> and here I am today, your your favorite rabbi. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so what, um, so you mainly, is it, I get this right, you mainly grew up like New York and Boston.
1: New York and Boston with a, with a little detour in Rochester. Right. And then I came back to New York and New Jersey for my rabbinical studies. Okay. And then I've had a few gigs as a, as a rabbi, and uh, okay. this is my... My, my third gig, and uh, third is the charm, the lucky, Yeah, lucky charm, and I've been here 14 years already, so well, that's, um, that's not too shabby.
0: No, no, and you're also a phenomenal musician. Oh boy, like thank to, you for saying that. Yeah, I'd like to um, learn about that side of you as well. So when did you start playing music?
1: Oh, okay, well... We had a we had a we had an out of tune piano growing up.
0: Okay.
1: I was like two years old, and I'd be uh, banging on the keys, mm-hmm. and I did that religiously for years, and uh, I, I enjoyed that very much. And uh, when I was nine, I took up the uh, violin, mm-hmm. and uh, my my parents suffered suffered greatly through that phase, but uh, um, I mastered that, and I was in orchestra. My orchestra won the, uh, oh,
0: Massachusetts. Hi, Isaac. It's been right. a while. Yeah, how you doing?
1: Right? Good.
0: But yes, we're talking about...
1: Oh, my music. music.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, so
1: I took uh, private violin lessons, and I was in orchestra, and,
0: uh, How long did you do violin lessons?
1: I took violin lessons, hmm, six years something like that. Okay. And um, wasn't too bad, but uh, but uh, it would have been if I lived in the age of Google. Whatever I was pa- practicing, I could have easily heard what it was supposed to sound like.
0: Right. But
1: I wasn't able to do that, so I just imagined what it was supposed to sound like, which mm-hmm. was often at great odds with. With the uh, with the composer's vision, mm-hmm. but uh, anyway, <laughs> um, but I, I, I love listening to music, and, uh, and then I got into more Ju- Jewish music also, and uh, and that was a passion of mine as well. Mm-hmm. So.
0: And you played out eventually. You you had your own bands, and you played under. Shlomo? Uh, shlomo. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Would yeah. you mind talking a little bit about
1: that? Oh yes, that was great. Um, so w- whenever I needed a, uh, a quiet place to uh, uh, create a spiritual oasis, I would take the vinyl record, mm-hmm. Shlomo's vinyl record, and I put it on the turntable, and I would go into another world of uh, peace, peace, love, and harmony, and mm-hmm. serenity, and uh, it's my. Uh, like a happy place of uh, soul music, and, uh, so um, I, c- I couldn't I couldn't imagine that one day I would actually meet this composer. Okay, so you you
0: had been listening to his records prior oh, to meeting him. Yeah. Oh, for
1: years, for years. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, and then I met him. That was amazing. You know, it's a, I didn't even realize he was actually a live person. You know? Okay. <laughs> and uh, so I, I met him in seventy uh, eight in Israel and. Uh, okay. We went out to his moshav that he had just founded, and uh, it was ap- absolutely bleak. Not a blade of grass was growing there. It used to be, it was a converted uh, a military camp that they converted to a, a, a moshav for general civilian use mm-hmm. between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. So uh, I was there in the very, very beginning, and um, I was a guest of somebody's for Shabbat. And I got food poisoning. I oh, guess no. the chicken was out a little too long, uh. and um, so uh, then it was another seven years till I, I ran into him and I was living up in uh, the Boston area and I heard he was giving a concert in Lowell, Massachusetts. So I went out there and we, we clicked and uh, I played with him on stage and, um, and uh, then he called me, said, come and, come to New York when he's in town once a month. And I was going down once a month for the next 10 years. And, uh, wow. and uh, really, uh, it was a big influence, big influence, yeah. But deep musical influence. And, you know, the way he related to people and uh, just, uh, I, I just thought it was amazing, his, his connection with, uh, with people and uh, he really, he really, um, it's it ironic because he, he, would always, <laughs> he would always relate to a person fully in the moment and, but he was, he would always say you're the best, but what, he said that you're the best to each person, mm. like you're the best and you're the best. And it sounds funny that he would say the same thing to each person. And uh, does he really mean it? But when he said it to you, you knew he was saying to you in that moment, and he felt it, that right. you were the best. So it doesn't make sense rationally, but uh, on another level it... Uh, I think
0: on another level it definitely <laughs> makes sense, because yeah. it could be understood as that you are the best of being yourself. Yes, and it was you it's know, about it's, being in the moment. Right. That's
1: really what it was all about, right. being in the moment. It was, he was just tuned in in the moment. Mm-hmm. Speaking of tuned in, I ran into Timothy Leary. Uh, oh, really? the, I ran into him at a Earth, a Whole Earth conference in 1990 uh, in a hotel downtown in Manhattan. And uh, and it kind of looked like him. And um, and he had a big button that said Tim. Mm-hmm. And I said, are you Timothy Leary? He said, yes. And I said, did you know my rabbi, Rev Shlomo? I said, did I know him? He said, if I... If I listened to his music, before I took drugs, I never would have needed to take drugs. I said, wow, that's a heavy statement. Yeah. yeah so the Timothy Leary told me that story. So Because Shlomo was out in California back in the, in the 60s, okay. so uh, they crossed paths many a time, so, wow. apparently. Wow. Yeah, yeah, cool. Far out. Oh, yeah. Far out, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. Uh,
0: so what, what yeah. was it like? You eventually did. You joined his band. Am I, well, he right? didn't
1: have an, a, what you call an official band. So okay, it was whoever was around at the time that he was going to give a concert. Uh, he just said, he said, what, "What are you doing Saturday night? You're playing with me. Bring your okay. bring your violin, bring your mandolin, whatever, whatever instrument you played." So, mm-hmm. so you'd have like. A lot of people on the stage, and uh, eventually, if you weren't good, you'd just be weeded out right. by natural selection. <laughs> okay. People would throw, you know, tomatoes. At you. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, well, I played with him about 300 concerts altogether. together. So,
0: wow. So, yeah. Now, are these? Where were these concerts?
1: Well, I was part of his uh, New York, mostly his New York scene, because so okay. I would be in, I'd be in the New York area uh, once a month because his, uh, his father was uh, running the show. When his father died, he he had a twin brother, Eli Chaim, okay. Eli Chaim, and, uh, so his twin brother ran the shul three, three Shabbasim, three Sabbaths of the, of the month, and once a month was reserved for his Shabbos that he took over and, uh, all his followers would converge, uh, to be with him for that weekend, starting from Thursday through Sunday. It was like a, a monthly happening.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was, uh, and, uh, he'd have concerts almost uh, booked throughout the weekend and, uh, We'd go, we'd go on the radio together and go to synagogues and play concerts or, or, uh, or, uh, or just impromptu gatherings and learnings and play, play music and study and, Yeah. So he composed thousands of songs, thousands of songs, but most of them came to him automatically over the Sabbath when he couldn't write. He was okay. not supposed to write. Uh. So uh, if it was a good one, he'd sing it, and people would sing it, and they'd sing for like an hour until it was ingrained in their heads. Uh-huh. And then after after the Sabbath was over, if anybody remembered it, then then they would uh, tape it, and compose it. But he couldn't read music, and he couldn't okay. write music. But it, it was just in him. So he'd be talking, let's say, and uh, in the middle of talking to you, he'd, it's like it's like uh, it's like, uh, it's like uh, he was getting a signal from another. He was um, channeling something. He was channeling something. Yeah. Thank you. That's the word. Isaac. He was channeling. And, uh, and suddenly, he'd, like, he'd stop talking, and he'd start singing a melody, and he'd sing it, and then it would, and it would change a little, and uh, anyway, so he had a full-blown, what we call the nigun, a nigun is a word, wordless melody, okay. and, in, and that's Hebrew, nigun, in the English, it's nigun. Nigun. Uh, ah, that's very A nigun, yeah, yeah, from the word melody in Hebrew, so mm-hmm. in Hebrew, it's nigun, Niggin, N-I-G-G-U-N.
0: Where were you guys, what venues were you guys playing in? Was it only synagogues or were there other venues too? Uh,
1: no, radio, radio stations okay. and right. synagogues and, um, and uh, sometimes in the park and sometimes in the dark, sometimes on a lark.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> right. And what kind of what kind of vibe did those shows have to be playing in those in, in those groups when you're up there going?
1: You were in another zone. You were you were connected to the Almighty. You felt connected to the source of the divine. I can't put it any other way. You were plugged in. Plugged into the source of yeah. life. It was on, you were on a high joy frequency. Uh, a, a most high joy frequency. That's how I would put it. It's like take all the colors of the rainbow, put it in a blender,
0: mm-hmm.
1: put it on ultra high, and add uh, add a few purple and violet tones, and you're in a you're in a different zone there. So.
0: No, that's amazing, and <laughs> a lot of people don't get to feel that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people identify the synagogue with a place to mourn one's dead relatives, and they come in they they, they say a few uh, mournful words of the prayer for the dead, the kaddish, the kaddish, and uh, and, and they come in and they're, and they're out, but they 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 don't realize what a, you know, what a spiritually rich uh, um, connection to the to the source of the divide.' It's, it's amazing.
0: yeah. Barbasaul, Barbasaul, Yeltopkin can save nickname, shaved so Barbasol, You talked about your father a little bit and his accomplishments. Mm. Tell me a little bit about your mother. Oh, uh,
1: I'm glad you asked. Yeah, she was amazing. Um, she had a wicked sense of humor. Mm. I mean wicked and uh whatever sense of humor I have, I attribute all to her, mm-hmm. completely, and, um, but, uh, so not only did she have a great sense of humor, she was, aw- aw- very intellectual, always reading, um, always reading a commentary magazine as, mm-hmm. as fun, fun literature, you know, to relax, and, um, she was a scholar, she was a Hebrew scholar, she had wow. two college degrees, and she was born in 1921, so in our generation to not only have one, but two college degrees, Right. when most Jews didn't even go to college in those days, because they only had a, they had a quota system, only five percent, you know, in, in, a, in a typical college, no more than five percent of the student body could be Jewish, you know.
0: We're allowed to be. Yeah, we're allowed
1: to be. Okay. Yes. They, wow. Yes. A very strict anti-Semitism. Yeah. Would you believe? You know, yeah. after World War Two, it eased up. By the sixties, it eased up already. Mm-hmm. But, but my 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 brother uh, my brother Danny had to go to medical school in Brussels because his professor wouldn't write him a. Uh, he got straight A's, but he his professor wouldn't write him a letter of recommendation for medical school. This Man. is in the sixties. Cornell so crazy that is crazy and his freshman roommate at Cornell touched his head for horns looking for horns he never met a Jew before (laughs) Uh. I just say mine fell off before my bar mitzvah so okay (laughs) by the time of your bar mitzvah they fall
0: off yeah they're going by that (laughs) yeah it's wild though I think a lot of folks not to go into like you know a darker conversation but I think a lot of folks do forget don't realize how much anti-Semitism there was. Yeah, the Jewish. you couldn't be a Jewish homeowner in Buck Hill until like 1956, maybe 57. Mm-hmm. Big ritzy, you know, horty torty, you know, millionaire community. No Jews.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And who are you, young man? Who am I? And then introduce yourself.
0: Oh, well, that's uh-huh. not <laughs> <laughs> me, you introduced him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you did? Yeah. That's <laughs> good. <laughs> okay, just checking but yeah, and wasn't there at Shawnee too?
1: No, dogs of Jews. I think so. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah through the fifties. Yeah. 50s. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. So uh, ironically, the grandson of the uh, of of the owner um, was bar Mitzvah at Temple Israel.
0: Oh wow! Okay.
1: His son married a one. Yeah. Very nice lady. I won't. Yep. I won't <laughs> say any names.
0: That's yeah, fine. I protect the innocent. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, my mom had two college degrees, and she, she always worked, she was teaching Hebrew school for for decades and decades, so mm-hmm. there'd be, you know, she'd teach in one place for uh, for many, many years, and they'd go through different principles every every year, yeah. <laughs> so, but she was the mainstay, they'd all look to her for support and guidance, and... Uh, a funny story we were talking about Timothy Leary earlier so I may as well yeah. throw this one in yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in 1969 uh, we were in um, we had just moved to Boston to Lexington, Massachusetts and uh, Temple of Muna is uh, we were one of the founders of, of that synagogue it's one of the great synagogues in America today right. so um, so they had a very progressive Hebrew school in those days and all the, all the teachers were were draft resistors during mm-hmm. <laughs> Vietnam and they were um, and uh, graduate students from Brandeis. Well, anyway, so um, the principal tried to get my mother to, to take LSD and uh, she didn't, she, that wasn't right. her thing. And uh, all the other teachers were trying to turn her on to uh, hashish or marijuana, and, you know, <laughs> LSD. She refused, so she was the only one who wasn't on drugs in that Hebrew school, so... <laughs> Wow. So um, yeah, so um, not that she was against it necessarily, but right. it just wasn't her thing. Right. You know, so yeah. that's, that's all I'm saying. Must have been a yeah. Prolific <laughs> Hebrew school. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, well, let me put, put it. Me up for uh, <laughs> let me put it this way. I I went from uh, in Rochester, my Hebrew school was memorizing, uh, memorizing um, uh, intricate rules of grammar, and then uh, then I come to this very progressive Hebrew school where we'd have to meditate on the floor. And focus on our relaxing our toes, going guided meditation, oh, wow, nice. and then and then we draw pictures of the Godhead. So that was a very different kind of Hebrew school. So, right. Very advanced for its so very progressive. Yes, very like progressive. It. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. Mm. So I got the best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah. it sounds like it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Hmm. So to to jump back, you mentioned how. Melodies would just come to the rabbi. Yeah. Are you, forgive my ignorance on this, are you allowed to play instruments on Shabbat or no?
1: Uh, well, in the olden days, the olden days, okay. we we're talking uh, before the, well, the temple was, well, the holy temple was still standing. Mm-hmm. And in the olden days, they uh, they played music on this. they'd have 10,000 guitars and, mm-hmm and uh, harps and flutes and, and uh, cymbals and, and drums. And uh, the Levites would be playing all the instruments, the, Le- the Levites. Okay. And they'd have uh, choral singers, and just and they'd be on the, the Temple Mount and the Har we call it. And all of the city of Jerusalem would just be filled with music,
0: mm-hmm.
1: with all the instruments and all the singing. And all the incense burning, and it was, and this was like twenty-four hours all day, you know, every day, and each day of the week we'd have different melodies. I mean, you, yeah. you know what day it is by listening to the tunes coming on. Okay. <laughs> you know what time it is by listening to uh, what songs are being sung. So right. they didn't have church bells. They just had the. Uh, this was before all that. So uh, this was anyway. So since the destruction of the temple by the Romans in the year seventy. Okay. So, because we're officially in mourning because the temple was destroyed, so we cut out all sorts, all all um, instruments on the Sabbath. So that's the side of the mourning. So, um, and uh, then there's the idea that not, if if you break if you break a string, you might be tempted to fix it. We're not supposed to repair things on the Sabbath. So, okay. uh, now I, I can't see a, a drum being a problem. It's hard to break a drum unless you take a taking like a sharp instrument instead. Instead of trying. <laughs> so uh, a drum and a tambourine I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm more okay with because that, that, that argument against fixing a reed or fixing a, mm. a string that wouldn't apply because you might automatically fix a reed or or you know or, or fix a string but uh, a tambourine, you're not, there's nothing to fix, you know, or a mm. drum there's nothing to fix. So um yeah, so it's uh, you know, that that that's something that might be Cause I'd like to bang on the table, so mm-hmm. it's like a drum. But.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Polite banging, not too raucous. So. Right. Within taste. Okay. So um, where were we?
0: Um. About. Well, the next thing we were I we want to transition into here. Um, so we talked about your music a little bit, which I want to get back to. But first. Um, were you doing these shows with the rabbi as you were yourself becoming a rabbi?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Well, uh, he wanted to, um, before I officially got my ordination through the yeshiva I was going to, he was mm-hmm. ready to give me the smicha, which is ordination. He was ready to, this was like uh, three years before I actually got my smicha. Okay. Cause he died in 94 uh, and I got my, Smicha, actually 98 so this was like four years okay. I was in like a seven eight year program and uh, so he he felt I was ready on a, on a soul level mm-hmm. okay he wasn't he wasn't testing me on in terms of uh, book knowledge mm-hmm. but uh, he he he, he, uh, he was looking at the soul level and he said I'm ready but I I told him uh, I unfortunately told him let's wait till I officially get it and then I'll get your your uh, your bonus smicha and I shouldn't have said that because he he died soon after that.
0: You know. Right.
1: And it was funny. Uh, <clears throat> um. So um, I was hanging out with uh, Chabad Lubavitch uh, Hasidim in the in the eighties. So I was okay. gravitating and in my spiritual search, and, the, and they're cool people and very friendly. Yeah. And um, so I was living in their uh, one of their houses for a while, and as was my want. Mm-hmm. and. Um, so I, I had a connection there. And um, so when the, the, Rebbe, the Rebbe died in 94, okay, he came to me in a dream, the night he died. That was June 12th, 1994. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the sa- same day as the O.J. Simpson. Uh, okay. <laughs> so uh, he came to me that night and he said, follow me. And I was working at uh, Temple Bethel of Rockaway Park as their uh, ritual director mm-hmm. that year while I was in rabbinical school. Right. And uh, so he was in, a, in, in, in my dream. He was in an ox-drawn cart, And he was, he, was, he was beckoning me to jump onto the cart. So he said, follow me. Okay. And then I found out later, later that he died that night. Mm. And uh, that's pretty pretty wild, right? Yeah. Okay. And I, I tell young Hasidim today who, were, who weren't probably even born at that time. So, I mean, they, they can't believe that story, but it's a true story. Yeah. So then I went to Shlomo, and I told him that story. And I said, the Rebbe said, follow me. And Shlomo said to me, don't follow him, follow me. And it's like, oh, it was like he was maybe jealous. Or, right. or, and let me put it this, he never would tell anybody what to do. He was He always led by inspiration mm-hmm. and emulation, but he never told anybody what to do. But that was the first time I ever heard him say anything to what you what should do. He said, Don't follow him, follow me. Right. So I, I tucked that away. And then a few months later, he himself died.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So, um, whoo, what do we know? You know?
0: Yeah. So, are they both in different sects?
1: Well, actually, Shlomo started off as the, he started off as a, um, a non Hasidic, uh, in a non Hasidic rabbinic family. Okay, you had the um, you had two kinds of Jews. You had Hasidim and the opposed opponents of the Hasidim. Okay, and my grandfather in in Russia, he was he was one of the top opponents of Hasidim. So. Okay, <laughs> so uh, it's called the Msnagdim, the Mesnagdim, okay. the the opposition. It means literally the opposition. So, stay. so were
0: they were they a specific group, or was it just whoever wasn't Hasidim was.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, you had uh, general, general ideological kinship. Uh, okay. So you had, you had the Hasidim, uh, which, which. Well, let me put it this way: the the for hundreds of years, the Misnagdim blazed a path of reaching God through scholarship, mm-hmm. through study, through learning page by page of the holy texts. Okay, and of course, not everyone had the capacity to sit and learn and absorb intellectually and cerebrally. Um, and so it, was, it wasn't for the masses, okay? It, was, it cultivated an, an elite,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a scholarship, scholarly elite. And, uh, and then you had the, uh, the Baal Shem Tov came, who was the founder of Hasidim. In Hasidism, he uh, was born in, uh, in uh, 16, uh, 1698, and uh, he died in 1760. Pretty sure that's the dates. Yeah, I think that's it. And uh, 1698 to 1750. And he started the Hasidic movement, which was very, very democratizing by showing people the path to God through joy. Mm-hmm. Path path to God through the individual mitzvah and ju- taking, taking sublime joy in the act of performing the mitzvah. So learning was nice, okay. It's, it, it was it was never downgraded, but mm-hmm. learning was one approach. But the individual mitzvah was was filled with such cosmic potential to change the world that through one mitzvah that you do wholeheartedly, with your heart and soul, with intention, kavana, kavana, uh, you can change the world. You can tip the scales in heaven, okay. Through that one mitzvah that you do with your with your heart and soul and mind, with pure concentration, you can uh, affect affect the cosmos. Okay, and you can't serve God in sadness. You can only serve God in joy. And so, and when people would would be singing, singing their hearts out and dancing their hearts out, and uh, with and uh, this was very revolutionary in the ranks of traditional Judaism. Mm-hmm. They were, they were seen as like real uh, disruptors as we call like Uber and things like that so mm-hmm. okay. they were the disruptors of their generation gotcha. Yeah. so uh, as with all disruptors there are people who push back so this not mm-hmm. being pushed back against that so anyway so Reb Shlomo grew up in this uh, uh, rabbinic world and he came to uh, America he was escaping the Nazis he was uh, I guess he was uh, yeah, he was uh, in his teens when he, he, they left Europe and Germany, and uh, uh, I think it was Austria, yeah. So, uh, uh, so he gravitated to different Hasidic groups that were in Brooklyn, and he heard all their singing and their melodies and their songs, and he was really moved by that. The uh, Majitzer and all, all sorts of uh, different sects from... Europe that were transplanted, to uh, you know at the time of the war, and um, of course most most Hasidic communities did not survive mm-hmm. the war, but a few, mm-hmm. a few made it out in time and they were able to survive, and some came after the war. And um, I'm not talking about Vietnam, I'm talking about World World War Two, right. just to make right. that clear. That's okay. Uh, so uh, he was in the yeshiva in Lakewood and Baron. Uh, Cutlers, and he was the top student in their yeshiva, very uh yeshiva of the opponents of the Hasidim Anyway, he somehow stumbled into the Crown Heights, and the previous Rebbe, the Friedecker Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, not the famous uh, Menachem Mendel, the okay. the famous la- the last of the, uh, the the seventh of the uh, generation of the Lubavitchers, but his father-in-law was. Was the rabbi at that time? So he, he became Hasidic under under his influence. Okay. Yeah. and then when the and then he was sent out on uh, um, to uh, to bring the message of Yiddishkeit uh, to uh, Judaism to, uh, to college campuses. So he went to uh, went out to college campuses and would gather groups together and try to turn them on to, to Judaism because this was a very lost generation terms of spirituality, we're talking the 1950s, you know, so right.
0: uh,
1: early, early 50s <laughs> so uh, anyway, so Schlomo started singing songs uh, the music songs were coming to him, he was composing new melodies, and he was he learned uh, piano, he learned guitar he couldn't read music still, but it just came to him naturally, and um, and um, so um, so when the 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 Rebbe, the present one, came out, uh, so Shlomo was starting. He started a house of love and prayer in uh, in uh, in San Francisco, in the haight Ashbury district, mm-hmm. and uh, the Hate he was preaching love in the middle of hate. Can you imagine? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I never noticed. No, so. <laughs> So he started a a house of love and prayer. So it was yeah. a place of study and learning and teaching and singing, and joy. and People could just hang out and find a room and sleep in, and uh, and then wake up and learn Torah and and uh, sing sing songs and yeah. learn Torah and and um, and it was a great. It was a great center of revival. And uh, Shlomo would he went out to the uh, um, the pop festivals out there. And, uh, okay berkeley folk festival so he was invited out there wow one of the organizers uh family members uh, was living uh i think in miami and he was visiting in miami and anyway so she was playing his music out the window and one of the organ yeah one of the relatives of the organizers heard the music singing and who is that singing and she mm-hmm. she, she uh, made the connection and goes, so i gotta have this person over at the at the concert so they invited him that way so. Anyway, he had lots of followers that came. He'd, uh, he said, uh, "Everybody's here. Come, come with me. We'll go to the rabbi's house, the local rabbi's house for Shabbos." Mm-hmm. Five hundred people followed him, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> because there was such a yearning for spirituality. Right. And, uh, and both, I would say a third of the hippies were Jewish, at least okay. a third, and um, easily. And uh, so there was, a, and they were not exposed to anything of his. Nature at mm-hmm. all. I mean, they were used to suburban um, synagogues where you would go to somebody's bar mitzvah and then you'd have a, right. you'd have a, a piece of uh, sponge cake afterwards and right. go home. And was, that, that was it. That was it. You know, so that was do you, Judaism.
0: Do you feel like there was a reason why a third of the hippies were Jews? Do you think that there was was that an accident or or do you not think so?
1: It, it was not an accident. No, okay. no. There's something in the Jewish soul that aspires to. Uh, spir- uh, connecting with with God, and mm-hmm. they're not quite sure how to get there. But whatever they were exposed to wasn't working for them, right. so they were trying out ashrams and all sorts of uh, exotic alternatives. But they the last thing they wanted to try was Judaism because they thought they had experienced what Judaism was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the suburban um, destination center, and um, it, yeah. it didn't. Okay, it uh, it it had its it had its functions, but it, it wasn't really a, a place where you would, uh, you would uh, it wasn't, it, it, it didn't touch you on the soul level. It was a mm-hmm. place of nostalgia and memories more than anything else. So, there's nothing true. wrong with nostalgia and memories. Right. I'm not knocking that. Yeah. I love nostalgia and memories. I'm right. one of the first ones to tell you how important it is, but uh, there's still more. And he right. was able to touch the shamans, touch the souls of these young people, and. Uh, they gravitated. They saw something authentic about his, his, uh, his way of uh, bringing that across. And they followed it, and uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and there's uh, obviously this spirituality in other people too. But I was, uh, but in the in the Jewish soul, there's definitely a, a yearning, a yearning to connect with God. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right, Isaac?
0: Oh, I concur. Yeah. Yes. So, during this time. Um, of your, we, we, we started here talking about when you were doing your rabbinical training and you were playing with Rabbi Shlomo at the same time?
1: Yes, all through that time, yes. Okay. And, uh, I also had a klezmer band that I put together to play oh, klezmer music. Okay. And, uh, I have a wild story to tell you about okay. that, so, um, so I had these great people I played with. Uh, Lenny, Lenny and his father Jan they' were uh, from the Ukraine so I, I met them when they came off the boat in the late 90s and, okay. um, so we had a nice wedding band and uh, so well, while I was in rabbinical school so mm-hmm. I was fun- self-funding my, my studies yeah. a little bit <laughs> not too much <laughs> just a little bit. So I had uh, I had ads in the local pa- Jewish paper in New York. So one guy calls me head of uh, Sound, Sound City if It's still in business or whatever, but uh, they sold, uh, I guess, music equipment, sound okay. city. and so he called me. He was, he was getting married, so I came down to Manhattan and I uh, and uh, I signed the contract. And uh, he said, "You should really check your answering machine." We had answering machines in those days, the right. early nineties. Right. He said, "I you should check your man. I said, "Why?" He's, said he's, right, Well, let's backtrack one moment, okay. and then we'll come back to that. Okay. So I was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had a sense of humor that didn't quite jive with the, my, my fellow students okay. so for some reason I blurted out and uh, we say the divine presence hovers over people who study Torah together right. so I guess the divine presence heard my joke so, <laughs> so I said imagine if, if Hitler never changed his name because he was born Schickelgruber
0: okay. Adolf
1: Schickelgruber may his memory be wiped out okay so so instead of shouting out Heil Hitler, they would all shout out Heil Schickelgruber. <laughs> Wouldn't that be crazy?
0: Be <laughs> awesome. It sounds like a Mel Brooks movie. Almost. Definitely. Yeah.
1: Okay. So that was in the early afternoon. Okay. okay. Two hours later, I'm going down to meet this fellow from the Sound City to sign him up for the wedding that, I was, that he wanted me to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was music. And he said, on uh, my way out, he said, you should really check your answer. I said, why? He said, it, it seemed to be malfunctioning. I said, what do you mean? He said, I called your number, and it was on a speed dial, so I every time I redialed it, it was, it was the same number. I didn't make a mistake. The first time I called, instead of your voice, it was Adolf Hitler giving a speech. And then I, you know, one of his famous speeches. Right. With the crowds cheering and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he hung up and he dialed it again and he got that again.
0: Jeez.
1: I know, right? Well, then the third time, he gets my voice. He says, please leave a message. <laughs> I said, and I got such a chill when he told me that because I knew that just just a few yeah. hours earlier I had made that that crazy joke. Right. You know? wow. So uh, wow. evil is a real thing. I'm convinced so, there's good and there's evil. And I touched you know you don't you don't mess with evil you know and uh, right. so there was there was a message there and uh, I'm still digesting and processing it, yeah.
0: so was there any did you get any uh, explanation or, or closure into how that happened
1: all i say is why do we know yeah that's my answer why do we know yeah, cuz it can't be explained electronically but you know the the cosmic forces can control any electronics it's uh, yeah. it's not beyond them otherwise. right
0: so, Wow, that's a, that is a wild
1: story. <laughs> <laughs> I still get chills telling you. Yeah, yeah.
0: man. Yeah. So you're, let's, we'll go, jump back to your klezmer band. Yeah. Um, so what kind of gigs did that band play?
1: Oh, well, we played a lot of good weddings. I mean, my friend Lenny, he's a professional violinist. He was only mm-hmm. 15 when he came here, but his father, they grew up in the Soviet Union. And uh, Kiev at the time, it Was mm-hmm. Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. And there was nothing to do for fun in Russia, so right. the Soviet Union, so his father made him practice six hours a day, and he became an amazing amazing musician I mean just six hours a day playing his high level music and he was just since he was a little boy so yeah. and i I, uh, I guess I found him off the boat so um I befriended him, and yeah. so I said, why don't you play music with me? So how did I know, little did I know that I was working with a child prodigy here. Yeah. And his father played the bayan, which is an accordion with buttons. Okay. Jan, Jan his father's name was Jan, Jan on the bayan. Mm-hmm. So uh, we had a little talented group, and then I had my mandolin, and I was, uh, was singing a little Yiddish and uh, playing, playing, playing the mandolin, and then Lenny was on. Violin, his father was on accordion and bayan, and just amazing music,
0: mm.
1: and uh, and they played cl- all these classical pieces. It was just it blew me away. Wow. And so, uh, anybody who listened to an audition, they would just uh, you know, they signed us up right away. So wow. It was amazing. Yeah,
0: that's really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I think I believe that I there I seen some video. With, if it's the same band, mm-hmm. could be, um, could be. Yeah, there there's was some a
1: young dude with the violin, yeah, I do remember.
0: Floating around in the YouTube universe. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounded great. Yeah. It did. And I'm sure like everybody enjoyed it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So what in a nutshell, because most people don't don't know, and I'm curious too, what exactly does rabbinical school entail? Like it's it's very far, for anybody who probably hasn't been there, mm. it's foreign.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so well, I I I was ordained. I got my smicha in ninety eight, so that's uh, twenty three. I guess do the math. Mm-hmm. So um, twenty three years, yeah. years. yeah. This week. Yeah. This week. Parsha bad Midbar. Parsha bad Midbar. I got my that Sunday. That Sunday of this week's Parsha of the Torah. But midbar in the wilderness, they were sending us out into the wilderness, mm-hmm. the wilderness of the Poconos. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Anyway, what is a, It's a lot of uh, you. You study and you learn. And you're small. My school was. I was blessed with very small classes. Very mm-hmm. superlative, knowledgeable teachers, and very small classes of three, four people. Mm-hmm. So you had to. You had to do your homework. You couldn't hide. Right. If you have twenty people in a room, you could hide maybe. Yeah. You can do it, three or four. Right. Know. So you know, it's for eight, seven, eight years. You know, so mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we covered a lot of Talmud, okay. and commentaries, and the Chumash, the five books of Moses, and all the commentaries, mm-hmm. and the codes of Jewish law, and the Shulchan Aruch, and the mishnah Berura, all these commentaries upon commentaries, till your head could spin a little bit, you know, and. Uh, pastoral counseling, and um, I did an internship uh, with attaching myself to a rabbi who was doing pastoral work and uh, accompany him to uh, his, his, uh, prisons and nursing homes and mm-hmm. places where he'd, he'd be with people and offer counseling. And uh, that proved useful to me when I would visit people in, in the prison. Because I got a lot of calls from the prison chaplain saying this guy claims to be Jewish. is. You know, his, uh, he didn't have a Jewish name, and he didn't look too Jewish. But he wanted Jewish food. Mm-hmm. The kosher food was better. You know, so right. a lot of people claimed to be Jewish. Who uh, he wanted <laughs> to weed them out, but it turned out their mo- if their mother was Jewish, then technically yeah. they were Jewish, even if they did, didn't have a Jewish sounding name. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would have to explain that uh, you're, you're born Jewish through your through your mother being Jewish, or you convert to Judaism. Um, so it's possible that you might not have a Jewish name and be Jewish. I have a great story to tell you. Um, one, uh, one of the great Jew- opportunities of being here is, uh, is some good stories. So yeah. I had one call from a lady whose mother was dying and she was in her nineties and all of a sudden she starts speaking Yiddish on her deathbed <laughs> wow. and it, she didn't, she wasn't hundred percent sure what Yiddish was, but it sounded like it was some, something Jewish. Right. And so you know, said so Rabbi, please come out to our farm. That's in the uh, Cherry Cherry Valley. Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh,
1: something like that. Yeah. One of those valleys. Mm-hmm. Cherry Lehigh. Yeah. Okay, so Hidden Valley. Yeah, a lot of valleys. Yeah. So I I went out to the to the valley, mm. to the farmhouse. And uh, so the mother speaking Yiddish. Uh, turns out that when she was a little girl back in the uh, early nineteen hundreds, mm-hmm. uh, she fell in love with a uh, a non-Jewish man, and in in those days, you you couldn't fit in anywhere if you were intermarried. So right. so and it wasn't necessarily that she was trying to leave her faith. She just she fell in love, and she couldn't. There was no home for, for that, uh, for that scenario to take root, and mm-hmm. and also for his community, right. so they, they came out to the Poconos as a to escape to where nobody knew them, okay. and they just created a new identity for themselves. So they mm. just became, I guess, Americans, right. but uh, you know they didn't go to any official churches or synagogues. They just they just lived and mm-hmm. uh, they raised five daughters. Wow, okay. So all their daughters were Jewish, technically. Yeah. They didn't know it, right. <laughs> and they had children. So surrounding this old lady speaking Yiddish is like twenty five people in this room. And I said, "Guess what? You're all Jewish." <laughs> <laughs> and you could hear all their jaws drop. Yeah. Can you imagine such a I happen to have an extra spare mezuzah in the glove compartment of my car. I said, "Let me run out and put a mezuzah on your door. Would that be okay?" They said, "Sure." So, uh, so that's quite a story. Yeah. And you um, yeah, I live for those stories. Yeah.
0: So what what is the reasoning of it being passed through the mother?
1: Well, you always know who the mother is. That's okay. really the reason. Okay. Um, but this this radical change came at the time of the Babylonian exile, the first the destruction of the first temple in five eighty six B C E before the common era. Okay. Now, no. if, you were living, if you were living at the time of 586 BCE, they ask you what year it is, you wouldn't say it's 586 BCE. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> You'd say it's the seventh year in the reign of such and such a king. Yeah. That's how they counted time. You know, yeah. you give me the name of a king and what year his reign is, that's the year it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. If you're talking about the past, you talk about the other king and what, what year it was in his reign. Right. Or it's the second year of, of King Shmo, and that's the year. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it wasn't very scholarly or academic, that's just how they kept time, right? pretty much. Um, so anyway, in 586 BCE, the destruction of the first temple, and then we had the exile to Babylonia. Before the exile, Jews lived in a, uh, a Jewish milieu, all Jewish milieu, all Jewish all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All Jewish all the time. You knew who you were, you go out in the street, no matter who... Who your father or mother was, you knew you were Jewish by just uh, the street signs. Everything was in Hebrew, and uh, all the signs on the stores were in Hebrew, and the smells were Jewish. So you were surrounded completely by Jewish culture reflected back at you. But now you're exiled to a new land where uh, it's a it's a it's a uh, melting pot society, and you have a hundred different ethnic groups uh, living in a city, and suddenly you walk out of your house you don't know who you are right so but so it's uh, and your father's working all day comes home late at night and goes to sleep and starts the next day working again so mm-hmm. the person who most affects you in your value system and, and upbringing is your mother so and so the fact that you always knew who your mother was and the fact that it was, the mother was the primary influence on your life and your values okay it's good to know who your father is but the one right. who affects you the most and your personality and Values is your mother yeah. God bless the mothers that was just Mother's Day a yeah. couple of days ago yeah. so God bless the mothers yes um, so that's the reason that's the, so that's at that point uh, the rabbis got together and they said okay up until now it, up until now you could be Jewish through your father mm-hmm. but now we're in a situation we have to do something radical to save the situation So sort of, right. um, and and um, of course when, when Jews came when King Cyrus of Persia uh, conquered the Babylonians and allowed them allowed the Jewish people to return to the homeland and rebuild so uh, they had to set down set down parameters about Jewish identity to, uh, to really, if they wanted to save the people and, and save the save the religion it's the, it's the religion that would inspire the people to to have their unique identity so they yeah. had to Take radical steps to uh, ensure that the religion would continue with fervor and f- and fire and uh, and uh, and desire and, mm. yeah, so that's the background of the change. Mm-hmm. So about twenty five hundred years ago, it went from a father base to to mother base, mm-hmm. okay. so, and, uh, and so uh, now there's some. There's uh, some stirrings of changing that a little bit, but uh, but that's basically the, the story of the last twenty five hundred years,
0: okay,
1: give or take a few centuries. Yeah. <laughs> no,
0: I didn't. No, I know.
1: Yeah. No, I know. Well, this has been fascinating.
0: Yeah. So, as a rabbi and as a musician, what do you feel, or how has it affected you, the connection between? how close music is with Judaism. It seems to be hand in hand.
1: Awesome, yeah. Awesome question. Well, how many notes are there in the musical scale, Al?
0: Hmm. I don't know. If if it's not infinite, there's 12 equal parts, right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, la ti, do. do. How many is that?
0: That's uh, Mm 8.
1: Do re couldn't. mi fa yeah. sol Eight. la ti do. Okay, so, so we all sing. <laughs> right, so a Jewish boy is circumcised on the eighth day. Okay, so it's you live you live the life in one dimension, and then you're connected to the covenant. Okay, you have one week in one in one reality, so we go one one day beyond. We're going into we're touching into the next a, a higher reality, high okay. reality. So. Um, so the seventh, the seventh, the Shabbat. This is the holiest day of the year. It's mm-hmm. the seventh day, right. and uh, so there's a connection to the divine. We have seven continents, mm-hmm. seven, seven dwarfs, seven seas. Okay, so seven is a holy number. So, um, so, uh, so the Jewish people believe in in uh, in one God. We embraced the Sabbath day and the there's a story that all the days of the week got together Sundays on the phone for Monday Tuesdays on the phone for Wednesday uh-huh. I almost, yeah. you almost fell for that yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay so all the days of the week had a partner and uh, but Saturday was left out it was, the, it was it was like the odd number was, Sunday was with Monday Tuesdays with Wednesday Thursdays with Friday who's going to be for Saturday mm-hmm. so Shabbat Shabbos complains to the Holy One blessed be He and says uh, uh, who, you know i'm a little lonely here he says don't worry don't worry i have a people for you uh, it's like god is the great matchmaker one day there will be a people who will be the sabbath people the shabbos people and they will be your people they will you will be their day and they will be your people so there's a story that that is the pen name of a famous a famous writer and uh, he, he said more than the jews have kept the sabbath The Sabbath has kept the Jews. So through keeping Shabbat as the holiest day, making Shabbat special, making it sacred, making it different from all the days of the week, living your life revolving around the Sabbath, that preserved Jews and Judaism throughout thousands of years of wandering the face of the earth. That was our center. Without that, who knows, uh, we would have uh, been been lost in the the great mix. Mm -hmm. The great mix, so that's the story the story. Yes,
0: Shabbos mm-hmm. yeah. So, the connection between Judaism and music probably goes back to the the beginning. I,
1: I yeah. Think. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, in the temple, as I was saying earlier in the podcast, yeah. that uh, the temple was filled with singing. The Levites mm-hmm. were singers and musicians, and um, so it was it was more than just. Sit- It was more than just the uh, the sacrificing animals and and lighting the lamps, okay? Uh, You know, anywhere in Jerusalem you could hear the singing. You could hear the singing Mm -hmm. and you could hear the music and it would just transport you into uh, another realm. So you really felt close to God. Not only did you feel close to God because Jerusalem being on like a very hilly high high level and the clouds were low so you could feel you could, you know, touch the sky... Mm -hmm. Jimmy said, "Okay, so uh, sc- excuse me while I touch the sky, yeah. So, not only would you be able to almost touch the clouds, but you would hear this music that would transport you into a very high, high place. You know, wow. so yeah. And actually, one of the first cases of music is Miriam dancing with the dancing with the, all the all the women at the crossing of the Red Sea after." After the miraculous, miraculous uh, salvation at the at the sea, so right. she was leading all the, all the women uh, with the cymbals and uh, timbrels and, and dance. So that was really the first, case, uh, recorded case of uh, Jewish music, okay. just came to me right now. Wow. So thank you for asking. That. No, cool. that's really cool. Yeah,
0: and that was uh, about how old again?
1: Um, that was uh, about uh, thirty five hundred years ago or take a few hundred years.
0: That's a good guess, time.
1: <laughs> the mists of history, mm-hmm. the miss early mists.
0: When did they get away from sacrificing?
1: Well, uh, I guess when the temple was destroyed. So okay. now, um, having said that, there was the synagogue concept started parallel to the time when the temple was still in existence. So mm-hmm. the temple was Centrally based in Jerusalem, but you had Jews living throughout Israel, and you had Jews in diaspora communities in Alexandria, Egypt, and uh, and in uh, Turkey, Asia Minor, and in right. Babylonia, and uh, all, all sorts of all sorts of towns in the in the Levant, and uh, so they would create places of study, studying Torah and uh, and worship, mm-hmm. so they would they would it would be based around uh, singing of Psalms. And, um, some other ancient prayers and um, and, uh, and studying texts. So, so a synagogue was a place of prayer and a place of study. A beit mm-hmm. a to filah and a beit bedrash, house of study and a house of prayer. And uh, Isaiah says, uh, "My my temple will be a house of prayer for all peoples." Mm-hmm. All peoples. So, um, yeah. So, but so when the temple was destroyed in the year seventy, so. By default, we had the synagogue left as the as the model, and so in Christianity and Islam, they based their church and the mosque uh, patterned after this place of uh, the the model of Jewish worship. That was the synagogue. Synagogue is a Greek word meaning uh, um, place of assembly. Okay. The word's like a synapse. It's mm-hmm. a connection, place of connection, connecting the neurons, the synapses. Is it synapse or synapse? Tomato or tomato? So.
0: I think it is yeah. with a S-I and...
1: S-Y and a... Yeah, like synag- right, it's Greek. It's yeah. a Greek prefix. So yes. it means like a connection, people coming together. So synagogue is people coming together. Mm. A place, for, p- place of gathering. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah.
0: Mm.
1: Well, this has been fun, Al. Yes,
0: Rabbi. I really appreciate you coming on and doing this and giving us some of your time tonight. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it immensely. Great. I'm glad I've enjoyed having you here.
1: Thanks for the opportunity, Al.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Anytime. Anytime. All right. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. It was wonderful to have the rabbi on and talk to him about music and Judaism. I got a lot from this episode. I hope you did too. The rabbi also has a brand new YouTube channel. You can find it Rabbi Baruch Benyamin Melman. I will put the link underneath. You could find Isaac's work on Instagram at when underscore in underscore Zen. And of course, you could find my newest latest stuff on Instagram at Albert Shivers on Facebook, Albert Shivers. And you can jump on my Patreon page albert shivers artist next week on the podcast lead singer of the new and exciting band rubik's pube vanessa marciano comes on the show to talk all sorts of music things conspiracies underground tunnels we cover all kinds of things also i just want to thank everyone who's ever been on the show we've reached 60 And I'm going to tell you what, folks, I have my eye on 100. I can smell it. I can see it ahead of me. So it's going to be a fun ride from here to there. In the meantime, take care of yourself and take care of somebody else. And I'll talk to you soon.